Good evening, everyone, and welcome back to Kingdom 101. As always, we want to also welcome the listeners um, that are listening in on our SoundCloud channel. We know that you come from different nations, so we want to say hi to you from Singapore. Uh, thank you for tuning in, and I hope that you have been enjoying this series or this entire teaching um, so far with the book of Matthew. This evening, we'll be getting into Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 to 33. So let's read the text first and let's pray and then we'll get into the teaching. Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 to 33. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds. And when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches." Another parable he spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leaven. Father, once again, we thank you for the opportunity to read and to study scriptures, O Lord. But Lord, we want to do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Will you teach us so that we who hear it will be able to respond correctly? Holy Spirit, open our eyes so that we can see and understand also the mysteries of the kingdom as Jesus would teach us and would have us understand. We thank you and we bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, we live in a world where we talk about being big and being prominent, right? The world likes to have the, the biggest things, the best things, the latest things. With marketing and advertising, it's all about getting attention. And you must trust me, I was an advertising man before. So size, the bigger the better. Numbers, the more, the merrier. And somehow similarly where the kingdom of God is concerned. Waiting for the coming of the Messiah, Israel also expected the same breakthrough. You know, big, huge, prominent, you know, the king comes, boom, done, finish, case closed. But it doesn't happen that way. Jesus comes onto the scene and he teaches these two parables and he surprises everyone with the mysteries of the kingdom. If your hearts are ready and you know how to receive these mysteries, you will then understand the ways of the kingdom. Often, you know, you're trying to look for the kingdom, but it seems like as if you cannot find it. It's like as if the, the kingdom appears to be playing hide and seek. You know, you're trying to look for it, you can't find it. It's like, is it here? Is it there? Even the Pharisees ask the same question, right? Um, where do we see it? Where can we find it? And this is because, contrary to popular belief and also expectation, the kingdom will start small, like a mustard seed. The things of the kingdom will oftentimes be hidden like leaven. The manifestation of the kingdom will be gradual and it will take time. But you see, the ways of the world, we don't see things like that, right? We, we want it to happen immediately. And for people like us now, everything is instant, right? You snap your fingers, you want it to happen. Now, how do you understand the kingdom operating system? The kingdom operates in a way that is very upside down, that runs counter to the ways of the world. The world says, big and prominent, you know, you can have it right now, right this very, very moment. But the kingdom operating system says, no, hang on, small, hidden. Uh, it's now, it's, it's amongst you, but it's not yet fully. And if you follow this kind of thinking with the ways of the world, it's so easy then also to disqualify ourselves, right? Because we tend to think we've got to be big, we've got to be prominent, we've got to be strong, and we've got to have so many abilities and so on. But as we will understand from these kingdom parables, it's not about how big or prominent or capable you are or even how big a church could be or should be or is at this point in time. It's really about who you reach and how you reveal the realities of the kingdom. Jesus is really talking about the extent of the kingdom as well as the effect of the kingdom. Sometimes we look at these two parables and we think, oh, it must be about size, you know, about numbers. You know, it will grow to be very, very big. I used to think that way. But I'm trying to share a perspective with you this evening. It's about the extent and the effect of the kingdom. Sometimes it's not even what you do for the kingdom, but in actuality, it is what the kingdom does to you and then finally through you. 
So the kingdom of God is like, you know, Jesus has this one phrase through all the parables. It's like a mustard seed. It's like leaven. Both of these parables carry a similar principle, but Jesus uses different elements. Now we will consider the parables one at a time. The first one is about the seed, the mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field. Now, three things we need to note about this little mustard seed. Uh, in case you can't see, there's an arrow down there. <laughs> three things to note about this. Firstly, it's the least of all the seeds. It's smaller than most of the seeds. And I believe Jesus is telling us something here, that the things of the kingdom, it begins that small. It will have small starts. The second thing about the mustard seed is that it's a common plant. You can find it almost anywhere. And it's known for its very rapid growth. And once you start to plant it, it will gradually, and then suddenly, suddenly it just springs up. And you will find this almost everywhere. The third thing is that the growth is disproportionate. From the smallest seed, it actually grows to become a shrub about 10 to 12 feet. But Jesus doesn't use the word shrub. It says that it grows to become like a tree. And he has a reason for using that word. But three things to note first. Number one, it has a small beginning. But the moment it begins, you can expect a growth that would be fairly sudden. Thirdly, that it will be disproportionate. From a very, very small thing, it can extend to something that is fairly large. So Jesus calls this a tree, and I believe in parables, he uses this as a hyperbolic expression, right? It's like to exaggerate it, to get your attention, to say, hey, something so small, huh? and then suddenly can be also then something so huge. But the word tree has a connotation. In the Old Testament, trees are used to describe kingdoms. So the kingdom of heaven is like mustard seed, and then it grows suddenly to become like a tree. The Old Testament used a tree picture to depict kingdoms. For example, in Daniel chapter 4, the entire chapter 4, if you go back and you look at it, in the center, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, describes his dream, and Daniel then explains this dream to him. And you know the story, right? There's this huge tree there, and then suddenly it gets cut down. Daniel looks at the king, and very briefly, with courage, he says, It is you, O king. This tree describes you, and you means the kingdom. If you talk about the king, you talk about the kingdom. So Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, Babylon, would grow up, and then suddenly it would just be brought low, and then it will be restored later on. But don't miss this. I like how it is sandwiched, this entire dream and its interpretation is sandwiched between Nebuchadnezzar's declaration of the kingdom of God. So he starts in Daniel chapter 4 and verse 3, How great are his signs and how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. Right at the end. In verse 34, same thing again, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation. Love how it's just sandwiched in there while it's talking about his own kingdom. He says, look, there's another kingdom that is greater than this. It will be everlasting and it will be so great, so great. Trees are used to describe kingdoms in the Old Testament. There's a second example, you find it in Ezekiel chapter 17. And this is talking about Israel, which is God's representative. Israel represents the kingdom of God, right? And this kingdom will be restored. All other kingdoms, the great kingdoms, will be brought low. And ultimately, the kingdom of God, represented by Israel in this story, will prevail and outlast all of these kingdoms. So you see in verse 23 of Ezekiel chapter 17, On the mountain height of Israel, I will plant it. It will bring forth boughs and bear fruit and be a majestic cedar. Under it will dwell birds of every sort. In the shadow of its branches, they will dwell. 
And so I believe it's not a coincidence that Jesus talks about a mustard seed and pushes it all the way through. A mustard seed will grow to be a shrub, but he exaggerates it to call it a tree. But then you and I know that trees depict kingdoms now. So when you look at this little mustard seed, it grows to be this huge tree with all the branches sticking out. This is where we see that the kingdom's extent will be far-reaching. Right? If you look at a small little seed, it's not going anywhere. But it grows up, it grows out, it spreads forth. The extent of the kingdom becomes far-reaching. And that has always been the plan and the objective. God's kingdom was to extend throughout the earth. It's not meant to stay in one small local location. The extent of the kingdom is to be far-reaching and all encompassing. Now track with me from Genesis. From the day of Adam and Eve, the Garden of Eden was a kingdom prototype. Now you know what happened, right? <laughs> they didn't do very well. They get pushed out. Before you know it, we have this guy called Noah. He gets the same mandate. Be fruitful, multiply. Now it's not so much about numbers. It's about the extent of the kingdom. It's got to spread out. It's got to move out. Then it comes to Abraham as well as Israel. And here's an interesting point I realize. The land was given to Abraham, but it was for the sake of the nations. The land was promised to Israel, but it was not given for Israel. And this is a beautiful thing that I learned because sometimes God can give something to us, but it's not for us. You can receive something from the Lord, but it is for the benefit of someone else. Israel was to spread out to the north, to the south, to the east, to the west. You want Akipa's awakening language. They are supposed to move from assembly area, AA, to areas of operation, AO. The extent is to be far-reaching, is to be all over the place. When you come to the New Testament, it started with Jesus and his little team Jesus, a band of disciples. By the end of the first century, it spreads out to the ends of the world. This is the kingdom of God. The extent of the kingdom is for it to spread out and reach as far as it can. And this is not only for the Jews, right? When the disciples started to move out, it was no longer about Jerusalem, not only about Samaria, it was to the ends of the world. It included the Gentiles as well as the other nations. And I believe one way to understand this one phrase, when the seed grows up to be this tree, the birds of the air will then come and nest in its branches. There will be a benefit, there will be a blessing of this kingdom where others will start to come in, nest in it, and find refuge and have hope and have a blessing too. Ezekiel chapter 17 verse 23 that we read just now, it also has this one line. Under it will dwell birds of every sort. In the shadow of its branches, it will dwell. That's one way to understand the birds. But then again, if you want to be consistent with the parable that Jesus told earlier, we can also ask our question, so are the birds positive or are they negative, right? Because in the parable of the sower and the soils, in Matthew chapter 13, verse 19, we're told that the birds of the air came and snatches the word away. And that belongs to the wicked one. It refers to the enemy where he comes and takes things away. So very possible. Because the parable before this one was the parable of the wheat and the tares. Which we also know that as the kingdom of God begins to grow, the alternative things will grow also side by side. So both of these interpretations are possible and you can consider it for yourself. Right? The more important thing is to understand that the kingdom reaches far out. The extent of the kingdom continues to grow. Now that's the mustard seed. The second is about the leaven. Another parable he spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. Well, just like the mustard seed, we can also learn three points about the leaven. Number one, it's also very small. Those of you who bake and you use yeast, 
right? It's very, very, very small. It's just like the mustard seed. There's a parallel principle and a comparison here. Very, very small. Number two, the proportion which you use compared to the amount of the dough, again, is disproportionate, right? You will use a little bit and you will hide it in one whole chunk of dough and before you know it, it will work. And that's all you need. Just a little bit of it will do the job. The third thing you realize is that this leaven is hidden inside. You can't see it. It's invisible. But just because you can't see it doesn't mean it is not doing what it's supposed to do. The yeast is alive and it is active. And once it's hidden in there, the influence comes from within. The impact is from within. It's pervasive. It spreads and impacts into every aspect until the phrase says, all is leavened. So these three small little things, right? One, it is a very small thing, just like mustard seed. Secondly, the proportion. And the third thing again, it is hidden inside because it works from the inside out. Now, if the mustard seed represents for us the extent of the kingdom, then the leaven, for me, would communicate the effect of the kingdom. So the extent and the effect of the kingdom would be what we want to consider. Now, this, in fact, is comprehensive. It's going to influence and it's going to do what it needs to do. Now, as we have already uh, seen this, Jesus and a few little disciples, and of course, after that, you know, the day of Pentecost has just exploded. And it goes on with Paul and the rest and the disciples in Antioch and so on. Do you know the influence, the kingdom influence today Many nations are influenced with Judeo-Christian principles. And so when they start to put in these laws, Christian principles are happening all over the place. And it has shaped much of what we understand as common law in our time and in our age today. The effect of the kingdom starts from inside. It's an inward conviction and an inward change first. And the change starts from the inside out. So as much as we understand the laws of the land to be out there and it sort of governs the behavior of the people, the kingdom effect is not so much outward laws, not so much rules and regulations. It's not about behavior modification, but it's about transformation from the inside out. So you can see that sometimes outwardly things may look okay, but inwardly, there's still a challenge that we still need to address. So the effect of the kingdom is not only outside. That's a good small part. What we want to see is the effect of the kingdom starting from the inside out. It's not about how much or how many. It's about how effective. I think this is the point we have to understand. Sometimes we think oh, we need to have a lot more but you can put a lot of the leaven or the yeast that is already dead and uh, expired already, uh, nothing's going to happen. But you need to have only a little bit for it to be effective, which challenges us. It's really not about church strategies and programs. It's really about kingdom principles, isn't it? You can put in more programs, you can have more meetings, you know? we can have more uh, ABCs and all that. But if you only do church... Kingdom principles will not have its effect. And this is something for us to consider. It's not about church membership or numbers. Right? You can have very, very huge numbers, but amount to nothing. It's about believers living out the kingdom, serving Jesus the King. You see, the effect of the kingdom is what we are looking for. And I believe Jesus is challenging us to consider it more accurately and correctly. Now, just like the birds, where it can be seen positively as well as negatively, do you know that leaven can also be negative? Because again, in the Old Testament, and if you are following Bible interpretation principles, right, we want to be consistent. Leaven is a picture of sin. And that is why when God told Moses and the people when they were in Egypt, they say, okay, I'm going to take you out now. This is the Passover. 
you are supposed to break your bread without leaven. That's why we call it the unleavened bread. So it doesn't rise, you just bake it as it is. Why? Because sin is not supposed to be in there. God wants to remove that sin from Israel and leaven then becomes a symbol for sin. Now when you bring it into the New Testament, we also see the negative applications. Paul, when he was addressing the church in Corinth, he was talking about issue of sexual immorality. And he says, your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? And effectively what he was saying is, why are you so proud about yourselves, you know, in this behavior that is wrong? If this behavior is wrong, all you need is a little, a few of you being like that, you are going to impact and affect and influence the entire church of Jesus Christ. So he says, Perch out, O leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened without sin. For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. And he goes on, he says, you know, please don't keep this feast anymore with the old leaven, you know, it's, it's gone. See, sin has already been taken away. So don't bring it back into the camp again. I wonder if we preach like that these days. Today you talk about sin, uh, everyone say you're so judgmental. Say, no, no, we're all sinners, but, you know, but because of the blood of Jesus, we're all washed, so don't need to talk about sin anymore. Paul was writing to the church. And he had to make a stand to say, look, you've got to deal with this. You've got to deal with the person who's bringing the leaven in. But after that, love this person, restore this person. But don't treat this lightly. Jesus, he tells the disciples, please be careful, okay? Beware of the doctrine of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. So meaning to say, the Pharisees have a certain influence, they have a certain effect. Herod himself also has that influence. And if you take in that kind of influence, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Get the same idea? The same principle that is there. And for the Pharisees, it was all about legalism. It was religiosity. They became very worldly. They became very political, right? Herod was the same thing. It was all about siding with the right side so that he can advance his career and so on. Uh, about prosperity. And after a while, spiritual leadership became about control, uh, manipulation, compromise in the, in the body of, of, of believers. And that's the leaven that Jesus was talking about. He said, please be careful, okay? You please, please, please be careful because if if you're not and you allow it to come in, a little leaven will leaven the whole lump. And once it starts to take root, you're going to have a big issue. You've got to throw away the entire thing anyway. What's the warning for all of us? If you understand the wheat and the tares teaching the last time, right? Both will look right and both will sound right and you don't know until too late. So if you bring in the wrong doctrine, you bring in a wrong idea, it starts to spread. In the beginning, it sounds right. It sounds good. It sounds attractive. It's hidden. It's, it's invisible. It's pervasive. Before you know it, it's too late. It's gone into the whole body already. So leaven can also be seen as a negative. You've got to be careful about this. The kingdom of God, the same principle that governs the kingdom of God, again, remembering the parable of the wheat and the tares, the tares also grow and the tares also produce a crop. Both grow side by side. The same principles will govern both. So we have to be discerning and be careful. So there you go. We have the mustard seed and we have the leaven. I wish we can close in prayer right now. But it's one thing to talk about the kingdom. It's another to ask, okay, so what does it mean for me? Right? How do I apply this? I mean, this is not the first time I'm hearing about this parable. So I, I know about the mustard seed. I know about the leaven. But what do these parables or the principles mean to us individually? And I hope that this second part will be helpful huh, uh, for you to consider this. So first thing to notice about these two parables, why did I 
bring these two parables together? Well, we know it talks about the same principle. But Jesus, you know he's the master storyteller, right? There's the same principle. But you notice one involves man and one involves woman. If you want to plant a mustard seed or something agricultural in those days, the guys were the ones who went out to the field and they did that job. Okay? Today, you will lobby for gender equality. Uh, but in those days, it was a man's domain or a man's job. Uh, if you want to bake... Usually, back at home, who makes the bread? The woman does it, okay? So please don't quote out of context this teaching and pose and then say that I am uh, uh, teaching wrongly about genders, okay? Yeah? But Jesus, I believe, you know, through these stories, he's trying to show you, it's about the guy, it's about the woman, it's about everyone. Everyone can play hide and seed. This is for everyone. The kingdom extends to everyone. <laughs> These same principles belong to each and every person seated here and everyone listening in to this teaching. Now, whether is it the seed or is it whether is it about the leaven, God uses the small things. And I want to encourage you with this. God uses the small things. God uses the smallest of the small, the littlest of the littlest, the weakest of the weakest. And if you don't believe me, let me quote you some scriptures down here. When God chose Israel, Moses records this in Deuteronomy 7 verse 7. The Lord did not set His love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all peoples. So, case study number one, Israel. God uses the smallest of the small. Do you remember this guy called Gideon? Right? In the book of Judges. Oh Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. Manasseh, you know. No spiak, you know, no position, cannot say anything. My clan is the weakest. And not only that, first they are the weakest. I am the least in my father's house. So it's not about your birth order or what. God uses the weakest, the least, the small. I hope this is encouraging someone. Saul, 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 21. Am I not a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel, and my family, the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin. Why then do you speak like this to me? You know, I'm so small. And this was him being picked out to be the king of Israel. Let's talk about Paul now. Saul was the first king, and so Paul was from the tribe of Benjamin. It was well, quite a big deal. But Paul says, I count it all as rubbish. In fact, now he calls himself I'm the least of the apostles. But that's him being humble. But in case you don't realize, Paul actually means small. And God chooses small to spread the gospel to the Gentiles and the nations. How cool is that, right? See, God uses the small. God uses the weak as well as the foolish. Jesus, He's the seed of Abraham. Do you know how He's described? Isaiah 53 verse 2. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. No form means he's got no visual attractiveness. If you look at this person, you, you turn away. He's got no comeliness, no majesty about him. He's not charismatic. And when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. Isn't that interesting? How many of you want to be like Jesus? And today, speakers and all, you know, I mean, of course, we do our part to, to dress as well as we can, uh, to present ourselves in, a, in the best light, um, take photo, my this side looks nicer, you know, I must go cut my hair and dress in the latest. Um, and there was this trend that was going around, right? They were buying like $2,000 sneakers and shoes. Jesus had no, nothing about him was attractive. God uses a person like that. Are you still feeling small and inadequate? 
If you are, can I tell you something? You are God's perfect kingdom candidate. You've got to believe that. You have to believe that. Because God uses the small. The other thing is that we have a big God, but He's got a very small voice. Funny, right? Yeah, he's a great big God. Of course, He's, he's spectacular, He's majestic. I, I know all that. But does it not record for us that it is God's still small voice that we must learn how to listen? And the point I'm trying to share here with you is this. Bigger doesn't always mean better. Revelations don't have to come with a boom. It doesn't always have to happen that way. I'm not saying it won't. It can come in a very, very small way because that seems to be God's kingdom operating system. See, if we look for God only in the spectacular and the sensational, we will miss Him in the simple and in the silence. One small word, one small phrase, one verse, one whisper, one nudge. And if you have received something like that before, you will know what I mean. It may be very small as we define it, but when it speaks to you, it's very booms. It's very loud. Am I, am I talking to someone here, right? It can be very small. This is God's way of speaking. It's a kingdom thing. It's an awakening. It doesn't have to be a huge thing. One small thing. God gets His kingdom into you, through you, and out of you. Is it not true that then the small shifts and the little alignments that get you into the right posture and the right position for your kingdom assignments? See, it's not the big things, you know, friends. Sometimes we keep wondering, oh, I cannot do this big, I cannot. No, God is just asking you to do a very small thing, shift in a very small way, and even then, we don't want. Very small, very simple. I didn't say it's easy. But that gets you in the right position for kingdom assignments. Just a couple of days ago, on the 23rd of September, this picture popped up in my Facebook feed, my memories. And this happened six years ago. This is a picture of the MRT arrow that's on the, on the ground, if you know. You take MRT in Singapore, you'll recognize this immediately. I snapped this picture. That was it. Next day, I looked at it and I, I started to wonder, eh, like as if there's a prophetic significance in this one small picture. God used a small little arrow to tell me it's time to move forward. To just show me that you are that arrow, that red line that is there on top of it is blocking you. I want you to move somewhere, but that's blocking you, but I'm removing it very, very soon. One small little arrow. And today I am where I am because of that one small arrow. No thunder, no lightning, no drama, mama. One small arrow. And you respond. Learn how to take small steps. That's a kingdom way. Take small steps. Small responses are good. If God gives you a small task, a small assignment, then just be thankful. All it requires then is a small step of obedience. It may seem insignificant to you, but that little, little, that little act of obedience, which is really your response by faith, that little step opens a door to all that God has prepared for you. So many times we're asking, oh God, you know, what's this? How's this? Where is this? When is this? It's all there. God is just waiting for you to take that small step and He's nudging you on that one. But you keep thinking, are you sure or not? You know, but there's this, but there's that. No, one small step. That small step of obedience opens things up. And I've seen this happen time and again. And of course, we have the benefit of hindsight. When you're going through it, sometimes it's a little bit harder to, to discern this. Years back, I was sharing this with a younger couple a couple of weeks ago. The Lord actually told Serena and myself, get out of debt. And so with every small bit we had, we paid off the capital. With everything that came in, we didn't go for holidays, we paid off certain things. And we slowly did that. But by the time 
it was right for myself, together with the family, to come out into full-time ministry. I stepped out debt-free. And this is a big deal. But it begins with small steps. One morning I was praying. There was, this was years back. I had just come back to the Lord. Don't know what it means to hear God's voice. During my quiet time, the Lord just prompted me to visit a couple that I heard of was in hospital the night before I was told. We were told in a, in a small group meeting. Now We don't know who these are. They are total strangers to us. I told Serene and Serene then agreed, okay, let's go. And we went with fear and trepidation. Why? Just because God said go, huh, you get so worried. If you go and visit people in hospital, no big deal. Huh? But just because God say, oh no, you, wow, you panic, you know, what if it's wrong? Wrong, wrong. Huh? And so we went and we didn't know them, they didn't know us. But because we didn't know each other and we said the Lord said to come and see you, it encouraged them so much. One small step of obedience opens up a door for kingdom impact and kingdom effect. I can tell you so many little stories here and there. Right? One day God says, okay, I want you to sow into that ministry. Okay, fine. Then you sow. Small little thing. Just do it. Just be obedient. No one sees. No one knows. It's all right. It's invisible. It's small. But the extent and the effect of the kingdom, never underestimate that. If the kingdom starts small and hidden, then kingdom assignments extend and its effect also will start small and also hidden. So don't despise the days of small things and small beginnings. Jesus himself said, right, if you are faithful in the little things, then you will be faithful over much, the big things. So learn how to be faithful in the small things. And I suspect so many people are missing kingdom assignments because they think I must do this big thing for God. God wants to see your faithfulness in the small things and to test it out whether the extent and the effect of the kingdom is at first working in you first. Remember, it grows from the inside out. If you are willing to allow the kingdom to move in you and then through you, I believe God has assignments lined up for many of you. How about the point of being hidden or hiddenness? Well, the first thing to remember is that it begins in the heart. Where is that hiddenness? It is somewhere here, somewhere in you. It's got to be hidden in there. Remember, the seed is hidden in the soil. And it's got to be hidden in good soil. The soil illustrates the heart in the parable of the sower and the soils. The leaven is hidden in the dough. So don't start to dig out the seed to see how it's doing. Don't try to separate the dough and see whether the leaven is still there. It's hidden. You can't see it. Allow the leaven of the kingdom to work first in your own heart. And these are very practical things. How do you do that? Hide the word of God in your heart. Hide it inside. But don't hide it so well until later on you need you that you cannot find it. Huh? You hide the principles of God. You hide the word of the king. If he's given you a prophetic word, meditate upon it, chew upon it. You know, think about it. Pray back to the Lord. Your times of prayer. How many of you have cried in one room where nobody has seen? You see, that's the hiddenness of prayer. Uh, fasting. Jesus says, when you fast, don't go out there and tell everybody I'm fasting. Lah. Hide that fact. Yes? Uh, you don't have to show off. If you just, just say that, you know, I'm, I'm going through something right now. Your times of solitude. Your times of being alone. The principle is you can't see that the kingdom is working at first, but it is. You have to trust the word. You must trust the kingdom. Don't trust the method. Trust the word of the kingdom. Our problem is that we are looking for methods. You know, when can we do this? When can we do that? You know, how long is this program? Three days. Okay, I think I can do it. Oh, one week, a bit long. Uh, one month, cannot. Uh. You've got to trust the kingdom. And you have to allow it to have that time to permeate every part of your life. 
And I think many times we, we shortcut, we, we shortchange the work of the kingdom and we move on to something else. We move on to something else. Secondly, embrace the seasons of hiddenness and of preparation. I use the word alignment these days. Because to align, sometimes you need to pull away. You need to spend some time alone. Don't crave the bigness or the popularity. Don't go and think about changing the world before allowing God to change you. Can? Every time we think, oh, I cannot change the world. No one asks you to change the world. God is saying, will you allow me to change you? And once the effect and the extent of the kingdom begins to work in you, then you line up with the things of the king and the kingdom, and then you then begin to know your place in how God wants to then move in the world today. Stay hidden until it is time for the kingdom to be revealed, either to you or through you. John the Baptist, I love this phrase in Luke chapter 3, verse 1. Remember, John was a guy in the wilderness. I think he had to stay down there so that you know, his fashion sense will not offend too many people. And in the wilderness, he's got a very strange diet. Yeah? But Luke chapter 3, verse 1 says, The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. Now, where did the word come to John? In the desert. Where do we want to find a word these days? At conferences, at seminars, at prophetic meetings. Why don't you go to the desert for a while? I'm being biblical. Why do you go to a wilderness for a while and hang out there for a moment, right? And then you want a word? You get a word. Today you want a word? You Google. Today you want a word? Got so many words. You want the word? Wait for 31st of December, New Year's Eve. A dime a dozen. This year will be a year of breakthrough. This year will be a year of this. This year will be a year of that. This year will be a year of that. Which one is correct? So, you pick the one you like. Ah. You see the problem here? The word of God came to John where? In the desert. It's a time of hiddenness. You've got to be willing to embrace a season of hiddenness because that's where God prepares His people. Do you know there's another way to read Luke chapter 3, verse 1, the, the verse I just read to you? Because at the right time, the Word of God... Now, who's the Word of God? John chapter 1. Jesus is the living Word of God. At the right time, Jesus meets John in the desert. I was like, whoa, I never saw that before. The Word of God Himself, personally, sees John in the desert. And then John can identify the Word of God because he already was prepared. Behold the Lamb of God. The living Word of God came. Jesus Himself was hidden for a time and a season before He made an appearance. See, these seasons of of hiddenness is for the Lord to teach us and for us to learn a level of insignificance. You understand? It's not about us. And somehow we need to learn that. Joseph, Old Testament, prison, hiddenness. No one sees him. He doesn't see the sun. Moses, wilderness. David, anointed to be king. Fugitive, where? In the caves. Wilderness. Paul, after getting a wonderful revelation, spends a couple of years in the Arabian desert. And he gets a revelation of the gospel of the kingdom revealed to him by Jesus Christ himself. See, we all need cave time. We all need seasons of hiddenness. Because in that season, I guarantee you, you will struggle with identity. You will struggle with significance. You will struggle about who you are, what you crave for, what you stand for. You will struggle and you will learn about reliance, about trust, about submission. And God has you where He wants you to be. If you will learn how to make the best of that season, 
Wow. When you come out, you come out with the power of the kingdom of God. I don't know if you recognize this family in this photo. This is my family, and this was like about nine years ago. And our youngest was just born, you can see in Serene's arms. And this is one of those rare moments where the family could go out together. I was preaching at this church, and they came to support me. But I want to talk about Serene, because Serene for many years, as you know, has been a stay-at-home mother. And when I minister in different churches, I think the Lord has given us this experience so that I can encourage stay-at-home mothers and to tell them it's okay to stay at home. Because many lose their identity, many lose their sense of purpose when they stay at home. Or when they have their first child and they start to wonder, oh dear, I'm not up on stage, you know, I used to run young adults, you know, I used to run along with the youths, you know, I used to do this ministry and that ministry and now I'm changing diapers. It's a time of hiddenness. And Serene went through years of hiddenness, homeschooling, raising a large family. And if you talk with her, she struggled with identity. She struggled with her worth. And as and when she was able to, and it was not often, to have a meal with her cohort or contemporaries of her age and found that this lady is a GM of this company, MD of this company, traveling to Europe, going to this place, you know, staying in villas, going for resorts, and Serene is trying to keep the house in order. Not only that, she received many accusations about why are you not serving in the work of the ministry? How come you're not supporting your husband? How come you're this? How come you're that? How come you never come out? You know, you mustn't this and you mustn't that. But in those years of hiddenness as she struggled, she poured out her life, right? She was writing and she could write. So thank God for the internet these days. She started to post articles about uh, mothering, about pregnancy, about breastfeeding, about homeschooling, about keeping the house, uh, about different tips here and there. And quite a few years ago, the Lord told her, formalize it, set up this website and be regular about it. And do you know right up to now, I don't know how she does it. Up to now, seven children, PSLE tomorrow. Every week, she writes an article and it's posted up there. And it's out of the hiddenness. But it's gone out and she's got mothers writing to her. And when they find her website and they read her website, they're encouraged and they're writing to her and she's ministering and giving words of encouragement, pointing people to the Lord and to Jesus and to tell them to live for Him. See, this is the effect and the extent of the kingdom. And it's only been in the last one year, two years, that she's starting to get a few more invitations and she's gone out to share her story and she's preaching a little bit more, but still not much. But I believe, I believe the time will be right for her to declare. But it has come, it needs to come out of this season of hiddenness and of preparation and of alignment. But as the leaven works in you and you want it to work through you, then I'll tell you, be the leaven of the kingdom. Now you become the leaven. Remember Paul says a little leaven, leaven's a whole lump. He's talking about the bad influence. He says, you be careful of the people who bring in the bad influence. Now, guys, we want you to be the people of kingdom influence. Be the leaven, the good leaven, the kingdom leaven. It starts with your own personal transformation. It starts with you being filled with the Holy Spirit. But you see, whether it's about marriages, being a husband, being a wife, you can live the kingdom leaven out. Your extent, your effect, the impact, the influence starts from inside. It's not about how much Bible you know in your head. I don't care how many sessions you've attended, whether you score A for Bible quiz or not. If you're not living it out from the inside, no can do, no work. Tapakai. It doesn't count. Families, parents, children, are you leaven outside, inside the home? Workplaces, are you kingdom leaven? Are you bringing kingdom principles? 
Are you impacting? Is there an effect? Good one or terrible one? Society, seven gates, seven mountains, I don't care what you call it. Are we permeating society with kingdom influence? See, you've got to hold all these in your heart and start to consider, at the same time, beware of the wrong leaven, negative nestings, doctrines and teachings that come in. And the big question for all of us to answer is this. Are you in, let me use a social media term to show you that I'm still quite up to date with the times. Are you an influencer? Or are you being influenced? Be the leaven of the kingdom. The problem with us is we are more influenced than we are influencing. We like to be like the world and then come to church and talk Christian. So are you the influencer or are you being influenced? So let's bring this to a close. Two parables about the mustard seed as well as the leaven. And I hope you understand now, it's not so much about the ultimate size of the kingdom. I used to think that. It's not about the ultimate size of the kingdom. Do you know, whether it's now or in the future, the kingdom of God is still very big. It doesn't need you or it doesn't need me. The kingdom of God is big. But is the effect and the extent there yet? So it's not about the numbers. It's not about the size. The extent and the effect, these are not always apparent or obvious. And it's not always easily measured, especially with the typical indicators of the world. But when the king comes back, the kingdom will be fully manifested, whether we like it or not. Ah, that one is a promise. The world is about big and prominent. And sometimes we think that the church has to be about big and prominent also. So we think that name and numbers are everything, but not always, if you understand the kingdom operating system again. And each time I do a study like this, I'm reminded of what Jesus said to the church in Sardis. And it's very scary. I pray that he never has to say this to either my local church or your local church or the church in Singapore or in any country. Revelations 3.1, Jesus says to this church in Sardis, I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are actually dead. Now this is crazy, isn't it, friends? I mean, you and I may look at a church and a website and the numbers and so on, and we think, wow, this one happening there. Got 20 services happening on the Saturday and Sunday that must be kicking alive now. And Jesus comes. You have a reputation of being alive, but actually you are dead. I say, oh Lord, help us, please. Help us with alignment. Open our eyes so that we can see this right now. At the same time, he says to a church in Laodicea, and in our Keepers Awakening, we have taught this often in our seminars. To the church in Laodicea, he says, I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. You're lukewarm. And friends, if you have heard this teaching enough from myself and you've seen our videos, lukewarm is not someone who is backslidden and never come to church, okay? Lukewarm is about ineffectiveness. You do something, but don't connect. Eh? It's not happening. You're just doing for the sake of doing. Hot water, good. Cold water, good. Lukewarm, no use. It's not effective. So you bring this into an understanding of the parables of the mustard seed as well as the leaven. The effectiveness is what you're looking for. I don't care how busy you are. I don't care how many hours you spend in church. Is it effective? Just because a church has many members does not mean that it has that right reach or it is relevant or is revealing the realities of the kingdom of God. See, I often struggle with this little ministry called Archippus Awakening. I want to end with this. One small verse, one obscure verse, one hidden verse. And for me, it was a booms. Right? It was right between my eyes. One unknown guy called Archippus. One unknown guy called Hanson Lim. And we see how God has 
slowly open doors and I'm thankful for the opportunities, but I measure ourselves with the principles that I'm sharing with you. So as much as I like to count certain things, I also tell myself, don't keep counting. It's dangerous when I look at that. But am I encouraged? Yes, I am. Now, if you've been tracking our Keepers Awakening, you go back and read our articles, you'll find that the churches that we're invited to, most of the time, are small churches. Small cities that we go to, when I say, I go to this place, you say, where, huh? It's very funny, it's, it's very Akipian, we call it, you know, it's very small. Maybe I'm saying this to make myself feel better, lah. Well, nobody else wants to invite me, you see. But I say, thank you, Lord, lah, you show me that you do use small things and small people, right? And so I'm thankful, every small thing I want to do as well as I can. I wrote an article in February 2015, and this is like four and a half years ago. And the timing is very important because you're sitting in a teaching that I was writing about. And I feel inadequacy many, many times. Super many times. Even today. I still feel it. But when I just started at that point in time in 2015 for Archippus Awakening, I felt it a lot and very often. And you'll see in this article called Our Adequacy is Found Entirely in Him. It's, in our web. it's on our website. And I confess that many times you will think, oh, you know, if I get to know this rather big pastor or big church, or then God will then suddenly open doors to everything already, you know. And that it never happens. It's not because I don't get to know big pastors. Huh? I do. But nothing comes out of it. And that morning, the Lord was telling me, stop depending on these big names. Why do you need the big name? My name not big enough. Huh? I tell you to do this, you do. Huh? I tell you to speak this message, you speak. Huh? And like Siu Hoon said just now, I only have one message to speak. I can teach other things, okay? And God was training me to say, will you be just satisfied with whatever comes along? And I said, yes, Lord, I will do it. But this article came out, I posted it in February 2015 because I was panicking about Kingdom 101. In March 2015, we would start our very first teaching session. And all the thoughts came, back, came in, you know, who are you to be teaching this? You know? uh, are you sure you can teach the kingdom through this? You know? And you can start, you know, but are, are you sure you can sustain or not? You know? uh, you are 28 chapters, you want to expository teaching. Or nah, 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 nah. I tell you, the thoughts that came into my mind, it was scary. I am just here to give God glory that this session is session number 96. And you guys are still here. We don't have big numbers. I tell you, as a teacher, as a preacher, obviously you're encouraged by people who come to listen or people who listen on SoundCloud. But isn't it wonderful that it has to be tonight when I teach about this, that God opens the entire partition to show us that we can have a big room. I'm saying this is prophetic. We will take both rooms soon, okay? But it's not about numbers. But we are reminded it's not about the numbers. It's about what? The extent and the effect. And that's why when people ask me, how's our Keepers Awakening doing? How are you doing? I, 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 say I, I keep saying I don't know because for me, the KPI is this. Is the person awakened? Is the person moving on alignment? Is the person moving on assignment? I wish I know the, the numbers and I can have the statistics, but it's very hard for me to track. And so I have to do my best to help our keepers come into this kind of an understanding. And I believe that as we do our part, then God will do His kingdom part in His kingdom way, in His kingdom timing. And so as with all things kingdom, I also know that not everyone will get it. But we know we have a glorious promise. For those who do, more will be given in abundance. And so I'm excited about that. I pray that there will be many, many more, and not just you seated here, but those listening in, and others who are really willing to play hide and seed with the Lord. They're happy to have that seed planted in, and then for themselves to be the, that seed planted somewhere else. 
that they are happy for the leaven of the kingdom to begin working in them and then for themselves to be the leaven of the kingdom to influence and to impact and to have the effect and as well as to have the extent. And whether is it small still or whether you grow big or whether you're hidden or whether you become more prominent, let's not worry about that. That at the end, Jesus, our King, and His kingdom receives all praise and all glory. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you for your word again. Forgive us, Lord, that many times we look to the world for answers. We look to our own intellect and experience for all the methods and the know-how. When you have just shown us time and again that your word is true, it can be trusted, and is the word of the kingdom. And so I pray for my brothers and my sisters this evening and everyone listening in. Lord, if we have wrestled with inadequacy, if we have struggled with our own identity, where we try to be bigger than we are or you know, we try to make things uh, uh, more impressive than they really are, will you forgive us? But Lord, as we come into your presence and spend that time in intimacy with you in hiddenness, will you do a kingdom work in all of us? So that at the right time, the kingdom will flow not just in us, but out of us and through us into the lives of people around us. And so we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your love. We thank you for grace, Lord, that at the end, Jesus will receive all the glory. Thank you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.